Well, we are uh, getting close. We have uh, two more uh, sessions left of this class after today. So getting near to the end. Yep, that's it. Yep, then we move on to a new quarter of classes, beginning of March. Crazy, isn't it? Flies by. So uh, the the reason it feels so fast is because we didn't have class on Christmas Day. If we had class on Christmas Day, you'd be begging to be done with this class. No, just kidding. It always, by the time you get to the end of the quarter, it's like, wow, that flew by. Um, So... Uh, we haven't put out the classes yet for next quarter. In fact, I have no idea what they're going to be. So uh, just be looking for out for that probably probably within this next week. Uh, they'll put out the... You know what they are? What are they? Uh, Romans Part 3, <laughs> Genesis Part 3, and uh, Pastor Pomus teaching the book of Galatians. Galatians? Genesis, Genesis. Only three classes? Yeah. Which one are you teaching? I'm not teaching. Oh. Yeah. I, I, I quit. So you don't have any classes. <laughs> 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 three if... They've already started Romans, right? Yeah. Um, but they say they have to do it. Yeah. 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 Anybody can join. You just gotta squeeze in there. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Okay. Well, good. You can you can think about that. Romans, Genesis, Galatians. Uh, three three excellent books. You can dive into any of those classes, even if you haven't been part of the other two. Uh, all right. Just to, to kind of bring us up to speed or, or bring us up to where we've been. Um, so we, we've been walking through the, the d- process, the different principles of reconciliation. And one of the things that I haven't uh, put into the notes, but which I've mentioned from time to time, is that all of these things kind of fall under four uh, key principles that are called the four G's. The four G's. Ken Sandy came up with those four G's in terms of the organization of them. Uh, But remember, the first G is glorify God. Glorify God. And that's just emphasizing the reality that uh, before we do anything when it comes to reconciliation, we have to remember that our highest purpose in life and especially in uh, conflicts is to glorify God. Uh, Conflicts provide opportunities, we've said. Opportunities to glorify God opportunities to grow in Christ, and opportunities to serve others. And those are, those are principles that we just need to have at the forefront of our minds because we're, as we face conflict, and we often do, you know, sometimes on a daily basis, uh, especially in a home, you know, with brothers and sisters, with uh, spouses, with kids, uh, you're, you're facing conflict all the time, you know, often just little things here or there. Uh, but those are all opportunity, opportunities to glorify God, grow in Christ, and serve others. So that's that's our focus. That's kind of the foundation of, of how we pursue reconciliation with others. We want to glorify God. The second G is get the log out of your eye. Right from Matthew 7, Jesus says, Before you can take the speck out of your brother's eye, you have to take the log out of your own eye. That means to consider how have I contributed to this conflict. Uh, to consider what what have I done, what sins have I committed, what attitudes have I had that that have contributed to the breakdown of this relationship or this situation. Uh, it, it can also mean that if we didn't do anything in particular, we can at least also recognize that we are sinners, that we have weaknesses, and that uh, maybe if we didn't sin in this situation, we still have the same kinds of tendencies as the sin that the other person has committed. And so we want to, in that respect, come to them with a disposition 
not of I'm a victim and you're the perpetrator, but rather I'm a fellow sinner in need of grace. And when we come with that humility, with that gentleness, uh, then when we do bring confrontation, uh, it will be much better received because they know they won't be uh, on the receiving end of judgment and, and condemnation. So, uh, so we want to humble ourselves by getting the log out of our eye. Uh, and, and really in this session on confrontation, that's where, where we get to the gently restore part, the third G, gently restore. Uh, the idea of uh, if someone is trapped in a trespass, we who are spiritual, Galatians 6 says, are to go to that person and to help them out of that entrapment, to, to cut the net, as it were, to free them from the, the trap that they're in. And so uh, that's what we're going to talk about today. And then uh, the next step is go and be reconciled. That's the fourth G, go and be reconciled. Uh, and that's simply to live a, a reconciled life. And so next week we'll talk about, okay, how, how do you move forward? Let's say everything, you know, everything works out. And there's a repentance and there's forgiveness from both sides. And hey, we've worked through this. We've glorified God. We've, we've, brought, we've come back together. Now, how do you move forward in the relationship? Right? Because sometimes there can be some awkwardness. Sometimes there can be this, well, I know we've worked things out, but I'd, <laughs> I feel kind of awkward around you. I, I don't really want to you know, see you. I don't know how to interact with you when we pass each other in the hall. You know, are we on speaking terms still? You know, there's just questions that come up. And so we're going to talk about how you move forward in a relationship that has been reconciled. And then on our last class, we're going to talk about how do you move forward when there hasn't been reconciliation, when you've made attempts, but they have not responded uh, to your attempt. So those will be the last two classes uh, that we'll cover. So for today, confrontation. And as you can see, we're going to walk through eight questions that guide confrontations. Uh, eight, eight things to think through, uh, and this will include steps to take uh, in confrontation. So the first question that we can wrestle with is, is rebuking even an option for a gracious, loving follower of Jesus? And we have to ask that question because people ask that question, right? Or, or they'll just assert, no, it's not an option. In other words, we should just love people, we shouldn't judge people, we should overlook sins, and we shouldn't confront. Uh, there are some families that their mode of handling conflict is, well, we just don't talk about it. <laughs> you know, you don't bring that up at the family gathering. You don't tell people, you know, what it is that they've done that's wrong. Uh, th that's how some people just grow up. And, and so we have to ask the question, is rebuking even an option? And, and you know, obviously you're seeing here that I'm equating, confronting with rebuking, uh, just treating them as synonyms. Uh, because sin distorts, deceives, and destroys, the most gracious and loving thing we can do in, uh, is follow Jesus in helping people see where they are at odds with God and others. Right? The reason that we can't, we really, in many cases, don't have the option of just sweeping everything under the rug and pretending like you know, their sin, uh, sin is not being committed is because that then allows sin to perpetuate. And if there's a pattern in someone's life, then that pattern is going to not just continue, it's going to grow and it's going to increase in their life. And so the loving thing that we, we can do is, uh, is to confront and help people see uh, that they are at odds with God and others. Uh, Jesus rebuked the religious leaders. Matthew 23 is a 
probably one of the more stunning passages, probably the most stunning passage from Jesus, where he pronounces seven woes on the Pharisees uh, and uses very strong language to make it clear to them uh, where they stand in his eyes and his perception of, of their wickedness and uh, their false religiosity. Uh, he rebuked the disciples, right? There were times when the disciples lacked faith, uh, like when they were in the boat, like they had just come from uh, a, a situation where Jesus had fed thousands of people with one lunch, <laughs> and they were in the boat, and they only had one loaf of bread, which I don't know, was probably too small for 13 or more people. Uh, and they're like, man, where are we going to get bread? <laughs> And Jesus is like, guys, come on, right? So there were times when Jesus rebuked their their lack of faith. Uh, There were times, uh, as we read in Scripture, where Jesus rebukes believers. Revelation 3, Revelation, it's a singular uh, noun, Um, 319, that's where Jesus is writing letters uh, to the churches uh, throughout Asia. And he rebukes believers uh, for not walking faithfully. And then, of course, Jesus rebukes demons, those who were uh, possessing uh, people. So rebuking was one of the things that Jesus did, and he rebuked pretty much everybody in different ways. But if you think about it, he, it was all in different ways, and that's, that's something too important to, to consider as important because in our own flesh, you know, once we kind of get convinced of, okay, yes, I'm supposed to rebuke people, sometimes... If we're not being wise, we're going to rebuke everybody the same way. <laughs> we're going to be as strong and sharp and direct uh, in, in pointing out people's wrongs and calling them to repentance uh, when that is not like Christ. You know, if we're going to be like Christ, we have to see how he spoke to different kinds of people in different ways. Right? He, he didn't rebuke uh, the woman caught in adultery the same way that he rebuked the Pharisees. He didn't rebuke the disciples the same way that he rebuked the demons. And so uh, we can learn from Jesus in that respect. As well, we're uh, commanded to admonish, reprove, and rebuke others out of love for Christ, the purity of the church, and love for the sinner. You see Second. Timothy 3, 16 and 17 there. All scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. Uh, The word reproof there uh, means uh, uh, that uh, something, to point out the crookedness of something. Uh, It it is that something is is bent, it's broken, uh, and it's to acknowledge that. and the word correction is to bring restoration to that, uh, to straighten that which is bent over. And so scripture is given to us by God to acknowledge what's wrong and bring correction to it. So that's one of the fundamental purposes of scripture. And so then Paul tells Timothy just a few verses later, in fact, this is actually two or three verses later, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. So as Timothy is pastoring the church of Ephesus, where he's at right now, at least at that time, (laughs) Paul says part of your role as a pastor, as a minister, as a shepherd, is to reprove and rebuke people in the church who are sinning. Uh, In Luke 17, uh, Jesus says to all believers, be on your guard if your brother sins, Rebuke him, 
And if he repents, forgive him. So a rebuke uh, has the purpose of bringing someone to repentance. It's not simply to tear someone down, to point out their wrong and make them feel bad. It is with the hope that they would repent. Uh, Or 2 Timothy 5, do not receive... In fact, I think this is 1 Timothy 5, because there's only four chapters in 2 Timothy. Do not receive an accusation against an elder on the basis of two or three witnesses. Excuse me, except on the basis of two or three witnesses. Those who continue in sin rebuke in the presence of all, so that the rest also will be fearful of sinning. So right there, if, if there are multiple witnesses that can attest to the unrepentant Uh, actions of an elder that they are refusing to repent of, whether or not it's a repeated action or something they committed, but which they're not uh, repenting of. He says, put that before the church so that everybody uh, can see, rebuke him publicly so that everyone can can, uh, be aware of that. And that would strike fear in their hearts that they are to uh, uh, repent of their own sin and, and, and not pursue sin themselves. In Titus 1, uh, Paul told Titus, one of themselves, a prophet of their own, speaking of the Cretans, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. This testimony is true. For this reason, reprove them severely so that they may be sound in the faith. So he's talking about uh, believers on the island of Crete who have imbibed the culture, the, the Cretan culture, where they're ungodly in a variety of ways. Many of them have gotten saved, but they still have vestiges of their ungodly culture. And Paul says, rebuke them when they're obviously sinning so that they can be sound in the faith and and not uh, be imitating the world. In Ephesians, it says, do not participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness, but instead expose them. So there are times when, you know, certainly we we shouldn't uh, participate in those who are acting sinfully. Uh, but instead of just you know walking away or not saying anything, we, we should expose them. We should bring them into the light so that others don't continue in sin. 1 Thessalonians 5.14, We urge you, brethren, admonish the unruly, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with everyone. So when someone is unruly, they're rebellious, they're not following the the. The scripture, they're not following the truth, they're not submitting to the leadership, uh, the church is to admonish them. All right, so all of this points out, and this is just a sampling of passages, but just to say, rebuking, reproving, correcting, uh, confronting, uh, that is an important part of the, the one another ministry of the church. You and I, no matter what your role is in the church, whether or not you have a leadership role, whether or not you perceive yourself to be you know, a mature Christian, whatever. If, if you have a brother or sister that is sinning, that is not repenting, uh, there, you know, there are times, and we'll talk about kind of the overlooking um, versus rebuking dynamic, but there are times when it is right and it is best and it is good to, re- to confront uh, those who are sinning. So how do we know when that's the right thing to do or when it's how do we know when it's right to overlook or when it's wrong to overlook how do we know when it's right to rebuke and when it's wrong to rebuke that's really the next question what are wrong ways uh, to handle the overlook versus rebuke dilemma okay so this is going to be 
several reasons why it would be wrong to overlook or why it would be wrong to rebuke. And then on the next question, we'll talk about uh, when, when would it be right to do so, okay? So starting with the wrong, we wrongfully overlook sin when we want to avoid conflict more than we want to look out for the other person's interest. That is, we desire their comfort over, uh, our comfort over their holiness. So this is the uh, idea that, you know, confrontation is difficult. It's awkward. Uh, I don't know about you, but I get really nervous, you know, when I have to have a confrontational conversation. You know, I, I bodily shake uh, when that happens. Uh, and so it would be very easy for, for me to say, you know what, I'm just going to overlook their shit. <laughs> I'm just going to cover it in love because I don't want to have this conversation, right? But when I have that mentality is I'm more concerned about myself than I'm concerned about their good and their welfare. So this point is simply saying, if what's motivating you to overlook sin is your own comfort, then that's a wrong reason to overlook it. You're you're not actually uh, overlooking in a biblical way. A second wrong reason is when we want others to like us and we don't want to get others upset. That is, we fear man more than we fear God. So the first one is, I'm more concerned about my comfort. The second one is, I want them to like me. I don't want them to get upset at me. I don't want to offend them or hurt them. And so, you know, out of that fear of man, of how this will impact them negatively, and especially their attitude toward me, I'm just not going to say anything. I'm going to overlook it. The third reason there is we wrongfully overlook when we don't cover it, but instead let it fester in our hearts and it produces bitterness. Uh, True overlooking of sin is uh, developing an attitude of forgiveness Right? We, we've talked about that. Was it last week that we talked about forgiveness? Yeah? I, I, I have to ask that because yesterday I taught six of these lectures, including this one. So I don't remember when I taught what. <laughs> um, uh, true overlooking of sin is uh, really forgiving in your heart and dealing with it, putting it in the Lord's hands and trusting that person in that situation to the Lord. But if we haven't actually done that and we just say we're overlooking, uh, then what's really going on, it's, just, it's festering in our heart and it will produce bitterness in our heart. So, you know, we, we sweep it on the rug, we throw it in the closet. We're like, I, I don't want to think about it. I don't want to talk about it. I'm overlooking it. When the reality is, as soon as, you know, you trip on the rug or as soon as, you know, you open the closet and everything falls out, you blow up in anger because you never actually dealt with it. And of course, that's metaphorically speaking of it comes back to your mind again in the future. Or you see that person at the family gathering. You know, for six months, you've been fine. You haven't thought about it, but now you see them and all your thoughts come back and you realize, man, I really never overlooked this sin. So we wrongfully overlook when we actually don't cover it, but we let it fester and let it produce bitterness. So those are... Wrong reasons to overlook sin. Wrong motivations uh, to overlook sin. Let's talk about some wrong reasons to rebuke. We wrongfully choose to rebuke when we care more about our hurt than we care about their offense against God. 
If the purpose of rebuke is to both to bring reconciliation in our relationship as well as to help them be right with God, then uh, we will wrongfully rebuke them if we're more interested in expressing our hurt to them than we're concerned about their relationship with God. The right reason to rebuke, as we'll see in a little bit, is I'm concerned about their relationship with God. Yes, their relationship with me too, but I'm concerned about their relationship with God. But sometimes when we rebuke, we do it out of our own hurt. You know, we're, we're sorrowing, we're, we're suffering, we're angry because of our pain that they've caused, the impact of their sin in our life, the, the consequences that their sin has created in our lives. And we're just like, I just want to give them a piece of my mind. I want to show them how wrong they are, how destructive their sin has been in my life, right? And that is not a right reason to rebuke. We also wrongfully choose to rebuke when we haven't considered, sorry, let me, I skipped one. We wrongfully choose to rebuke when we can't control our emotions or our words. That's along the lines of what I was just saying. When we're just like, I, I just, I'm overflowing internally with words of, of condemnation and judgment and and pain, and I want them to know how much they've hurt me. If I can't control that, if I can't rein that in to speak in a loving way, in a gracious way, in a gentle way, then I should not rebuke. I'm not ready to rebuke. The next reason there is we wrongfully choose to rebuke when we haven't considered our own contribution to the conflict, or we've made assumptions about them based on our limited perception. Right, so... First reason there is I, I haven't taken the log out of, my, out of my own eye. I've been perhaps unwilling or I just haven't taken the time to think about what role have I played in this. You know, we're, we're not responsible for their sin. We've said that, right? They are solely responsible for their sin. But have I done anything that has made it easy for them to sin? Have I created an environment where they chose to sin in that situation? Uh, and if I haven't done that, then I'm not ready to rebuke them. I haven't taken the log out of, out of my own eye. Or the other reason that's there is uh, perhaps we've made assumptions about them. So we've interpreted their words and their actions a particular way. Or we've assumed uh, that we've been clear in our communication in the past when uh, perhaps they either didn't get the message or they misunderstood the message. And so because of our perception, we assume everything... Uh, everything happened the way we think it did, and therefore they didn't respond the way we thought they should, uh, and therefore their character is one of evil and malice and wicked. <laughs> right? Think about this situation. Uh, you email someone uh, with information, whatever. Uh, maybe even a, a confrontation, or, or, or you, know, the, you, just, you send an email to someone, and they don't respond but you assume that they got it. And so there's in your own heart this festering thought of, why didn't they respond? Uh, Are they mad at me? Uh, Did I offend them? Or are they ignoring me? You know, they think they're better than I am. I mean, obviously, depending on the situation, but we'll start making assumptions about what's going on in their heart and in their life. And we'll start just um, uh, projecting onto them 
motivations and, and situations and just making a lot of assumptions. And then we, we come to them with a confrontation as if, you know, hey, you're ignoring me. And they're like, what are you talking about? You've never sent me an email. <laughs> yes, I sent you an email on this day. They're like, yeah, I, I never got that email. And it could be something like it went in the junk folder or it could be we accidentally typed their email address wrong and it went to the wrong person. You know, it could be all kinds of explanations. But in our heart, we've gone so far in assuming things about that person that uh, that may not be accurate, that aren't accurate. So we have to be very careful uh, to, uh, and we'll talk about this when we talk the practical specifics on, on confrontation. We have to be very careful to not jump to conclusions and make assumptions uh, about the situation. So if we've done that, and we're you know humble enough uh, to to acknowledge that, we shouldn't rebuke until we're ready to, to pull back our thoughts. Uh, just another word about that, just because I'm thinking about it. Um, you know, sometimes uh, I'll be talking to someone who's angry at another person. And again, they'll be kind of going down the road of assumptions and, and heart, you know, concluding about their heart motivations and interpreting their words a certain ways. And so I'll just say, well, did they actually say that? Well, no, they didn't say that, but that's what they meant. <laughs> okay, but are you sure that that's what they meant, right? <laughs> you know, we just, we got to pull back the emotions. We got to pull back our assumptions and deal with what we've heard. Take it at face value. Take, deal with what we've seen, uh, and and be willing to acknowledge that maybe we have misunderstood. Maybe we have misperceived. We'll, we'll come back to that. All right. Lastly, there uh, we wrongfully confront when we attack the person, not the problem. We assume their motives. We use words like always and never, and we demean their character. All right. So again, with a rebuke, with a biblical rebuke, what we're aiming at is their repentance, their restoration uh, to a right relationship with us, and most especially their restoration with a, with a right relationship with the Lord. That's what we're aiming at. So if we come and we are attacking them, well, you did this because you're just that kind of person. You always do this. You never do that. That's like tearing them down, right? And that... For them, that just like builds up the wall of I'm not I'm not going to respond to that, <laughs> you know. And so if, if we can't come to them with a humble attitude without making assumptions, if we can't see them as a whole person rather than as you know completely defined by this one sin that we perceive in their life, uh, then we're not ready to rebuke. Right? We, need to, we need to recognize that they are a person made in the image of God. They are a sinner, hopefully saved by grace. Uh, and there is much more to their life than this one situation. So we need to be able to see them in, in their totality and consider that, again, maybe, maybe I'm misperceiving things. You know, if, if I can see that there's goodness in them by God's grace, you know, they love their kids, they love their spouse, they're... You know, faithful in their work, they do good ministry. If I can see positive aspects of their life, maybe I'm misunderstanding this situation. Now, maybe you're not. Maybe you're seeing it accurately, but maybe maybe you are misperceiving. So you just want to have a humble disposition so that when you come to them, it's not attacking them. It's saying, hey, here's a concern that I have. 
and you have a conversation in a humble way. All right. So those are wrong ways. What are what are right ways to cons- uh, consider or discern when rebuke is needed versus when you overlook sin? You you could say it's. It's not written here, but you, you could say a default would be to overlook sin. And, and I say that because the vast majority of things that we experience with one another are sins, you know, the, uh, a snappy statement that we make, a, a, a curt, short comment, uh, it's just a brief expression of frustration or anger. Uh, if, we are rebu- if we have a default of rebuking everything and everyone, like that's that's the only conversation we're ever going to have with people, <laughs> right? Uh, and as parents, that's the only conversation we're going to have with our kids because our kids sin a lot, just like we do. <laughs> uh, and so we need to be careful to not have the default as I'm always going to rebuke, unless you know there's a situation where I don't have to. I think that generally speaking, our disposition should be I'm going to overlook unless I really need to address this situation okay just as a general rule of thumb i'm going to overlook unless some of these things are true one or more of these things are true all right when a person is trapped in sin or a pattern uh, or sin that uh, excuse me a pattern of sin or is in danger of it so when they're trapped in sin or a pattern of sin or is in danger of it so again if, if they're caught in a trespass if there's a, a continual a habitual lifestyle of sin, you know, they're they're continually lying, they're they're steeped in sin. They, they don't realize how the way that they're speaking with others, the way they're interacting, the decisions that they're making, how those are sinful or unhelpful or destructive in their in their in their life. Uh, then you want to address that. You don't want them to continue on not realizing the sin that they're committed, or uh, or even if they do realize it, you you want to help them out of it. Again, that's Galatians 6 1. If anyone's caught in any trespass. Uh, or when someone may welcome such rebuke. You know, maybe you know someone in your life who uh, loves the Lord. Uh, they love you, you love them, uh, but they've sinned against you, and maybe they don't realize it. And you know, because of your relationship to them, your, your perception of their maturity, that, that they would love to know if they've sinned against you. Because they would love to make that right with you. Uh, then go to them. Even if it's a small thing that you could overlook, uh, then go to them and say, hey, you know, I just want you to know, I'm sure, you know, maybe you didn't mean it, but, you know, this happened and, that, you know, I kind of stung a little bit. You know, whatever you might say, whatever the situation is, if you know they would welcome it, then that would be a great opportunity to rebuke uh, with likely high uh, chances of, of it going well. Proverbs 17.10, a rebuke goes deeper into one who has understanding than a hundred blows into a fool. So if you know someone who has understanding, they're, they're mature, they're humble, uh, they would love to uh, grow in the Lord through your confrontation, then, then that would be a good time to do it. Or when the offense is especially serious as indicated by the lists of sin in Scripture. You know, on, on one level, we can say that all sin is the same, right? It doesn't matter what sin you commit, every single sin, if you were to only commit that one sin, that would earn you eternity in hell. 
It doesn't matter if you know you, you lie that one time to your teacher or if you murder someone. Either sin will send you to hell. But there are in Scripture lists of sins where God says these are particularly grievous. And we won't go into why, you know, why that is other than to say that most of these sins uh, are severe violations of God's design, like homosexuality. Or they are sins that impact others, uh, as you'll see in these sins. So Proverbs 6, 16 to 19. There are six things which the Lord hates. Yes, seven which are an abomination to him. Haughty eyes, pride. A lying tongue and hands that shed innocent blood. A heart that devises wicked plans. Feet that run rapidly to evil. A false witness who utters lies and one who spreads strife among brothers. So those seven things, the Lord says, these are abominations to me. And you can see the the impact that these would have. If you look at the last one, one who spreads strife among brothers. That's the kind of thing that God hates because of its impact on God's people, on a church. It can destroy a church, not just an individual life. Or a false witness who utters lies. That's in the kind of the court context where uh, a witness would subvert justice. And that's how Christ was crucified. There were false witnesses who lied about Christ. Uh, Or feet that run rapidly to evil. When someone has the character where they're always going down the path of sin and wickedness. That's going to impact more than just them. So uh, there's also uh, 1 Corinthians 6, 9 to 10. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Again, these are sins that you could put on par with every other sin, but yet in in the wisdom of God, the Spirit inspired Paul to identify these particular sins as those that... uh, that are uh, certain to not enter the kingdom of God. Uh, these cannot be characteristic of believers. And so, uh, if someone is engaged in any of these sins, we, we want to address that. We want to confront that. We don't want to let that slide. And then Romans one twenty to 31 I won't read it, but there's a list of 21 sins there that are significant in God's eyes. They are manifestations of the depraved mind. And so because of the the, the fact of what they reveal about a person's heart, uh, we want to address those things and encourage them, appeal to them to repent. So if it's a significant sin uh, that God would identify as being particularly significant, we want to overlook it. Or sorry, we want to rebuke it. All right, another consideration is when your relationship is severely strained, undermined, or broken. All right, so you're sinned against, and in your own heart and mind, you, you just are not really able to overlook it. You're, you're, you're uh, hurt by it. Uh, you're confused by it. You're not able to interact with them uh, normally as you used to do. You know, when, when they say, hey, let's get together, you're like, oh, man, I don't really want to do that. You know, I, I don't think you realize 
how I'm feeling right now based on, on your sin. Whatever the situation is, if your relationship is, is hindered or broken or, or even just strained, uh, you want to deal with that. You, you want to confront that so that you can have a restored relationship. Matthew 5, 24, Therefore, if you are presenting your offering at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, Leave your offering there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and present your offering. Right? We've looked at that verse before. Again, just uh, Jesus is explaining the priority of reconciliation. That when there's a strained relationship, when your brother has something against you or you have something against your brother, uh, go deal with it. Go get it right. Set, set that relationship straight. Don't just overlook it and ignore it. Another reason to rebuke would be when the person is hurting himself and undermining his Christian witness and ministry usefulness. So if, if someone is committing a private sin, maybe it wasn't even against you, but it's a private sin that you're aware of, uh, and you, you can see how it's harming them. You know, it could be a problem with drugs, with alcohol. It could be uh, foolish, destructive li- living. Um, you, you want to address that. You don't want them to continue on in sin uh, when it's harming them. Or perhaps it's undermining their Christian witness. Maybe, maybe you work with a believer and you see how their testimony is being harmed uh, because of how they're engaging with other co-workers. Uh, you want to address that. You don't want them to continue to be uh, a bad representative for Christ. Again, you have the First Timothy five nineteen to 20 there of, of the elder. Uh, that if an elder is in sin and is not repenting, that's a bad testimony to the church. That's going to affect his Christian witness. You know, people are going to leave the church. They're, they're going to have a bad taste in their mouth uh, of, of Christianity. And so you want to address that. Uh, you want to take that seriously. And so he says, rebuke in the presence of all. And then finally, when the reputation of God, Christ, or his church, or when the health and unity of the church is threatened, injured, or disrupted. The example there of Galatians 2.14 is when uh, Peter was initially eating meals with Gentiles, but when Jews from Jerusalem came, he wanted to um, uh, you know, act like he was still a faithful Jew, which Jews didn't eat with Gentiles, and so he removed himself from the Gentiles. And Paul confronts him saying, listen, you're confusing the gospel, you're confusing the Gentiles, because on the one hand, you say that Gentiles and Jews are one in Christ, but now you're removing your fellowship from them. So you're confusing them. And so that's a reputation issue. That's a gospel issue. And so Paul confronted him publicly, and now that's in Scripture, and we all see that. And so if someone is harming the church, if they're harming the reputation of the gospel, uh, we want to address the sin in their lives. Okay? So uh, these are all reasons why we should rebuke rather than overlook. Um, now, as a parent, you know, there's obviously issues where you're raising your child and you're training them. And there's more involved in, in, in that where, you know, you don't want to overlook a lot of sin. Otherwise, they won't be trained according to the truth. Uh, but, uh, but when it comes to, you know, personal relationships, others in the church, um, these are reasons to rebuke. Any any thoughts, comments, or questions about? How do you deal with some of these situations when a person is not a believer? Mm. Yeah. Well, 
in some ways, I mean, you just consider, um, you know, the, the harm that's being done to a relationship, the harm that person is doing to themselves. You know, of course, the reputation of Christ isn't that those aspects aren't involved there, but but out of love for them, uh, you can still bring things to them, um, recognizing though that of course they're they're not going to have uh, the Holy Spirit to bring conviction. Uh, they're not, generally speaking, they're not going to have the Word of God that they're interested in. You know, they're not trying to live up to the truth. So one can appeal to common grace. The fact that they know what's wrong, you know, and uh, in common grace, they can have concern about the welfare of others. And so we can appeal to them, we can point things out and express love and concern for them. And, and so still confront and rebuke, um, but just recognizing that, you know, they don't have the Holy Spirit. So we shouldn't be surprised when they don't respond well. But by God's grace, common grace, you know, maybe they will respond well. That's a good question. Okay, uh, let's get into the kind of the practical how-to of rebuking. Now, as you look from here, let's see. Yeah, from here on out, other than one reference, um, there's no Bible verses. <laughs> so what we're talking about here practically is not this is how the Bible says you confront someone, Okay. Full disclosure. <laughs> uh, this is rather uh, trying to apply biblical principles in terms of gentleness, grace, humility, kindness, love, uh, into a practical method of coming to someone for rebuke. I also need to say this isn't the. This is definitely not the only way. This would be an approach that one would take, uh, primarily where there's a personal relationship. Uh, of mutual love uh, and um, relationship, a pre-existing relationship where you, know, you can have this kind of a conversation. Uh, there might be other situations, uh, whether it's false teaching, uh, someone in, in gross sin, uh, you know, they've committed a crime, you know, those kinds of things where a different approach would be needed. Okay? So this is not a one-size-fits-all approach. I would say this is probably the more common approach. Uh, or something like this would be the more common kind of confrontation uh, we would have with one another. Okay, so just be aware of those things. So some things that you you should do to prepare. Uh, number one, ask yourself: Have you examined yourself and confessed your sins to God and others, seeking their forgiveness? Right. Get the log out of your own eye. Have you really considered? Hey, is there a way that I have contributed to? This conflict, is there anything that I've done that has made it easy for this person to sin against me? Uh, and have I uh, done what I need to do to confess and uh, repent and seek for forgiveness from God and others? So that's that's the very first step. Because you don't want to uh, really demand something of others that you yourself have not been willing to do. Secondly, am I forgiving the other person attitudinally? Right? Have I entrusted them to the Lord? Have I recognized uh, that their sin is first and foremost against God? And so it's God's responsibility to uh, deal with their sin. My responsibility is to love them and try and win them. Uh, so am I holding a grudge or am I embittered toward them? Right? 
Secondly, we can ask, do I clearly understand that my goal is to reconcile the relationship, not to defeat an enemy? Right? What, what goal do I have in mind when I'm wanting to, to confront them? Am I trying to just get them to feel bad about them? Or am I trying to get them in trouble? You know, or am I trying to win them in the relationship, win them back to myself and win them back to God in a healthy relationship? Also, am I convinced that this is the most loving act I can take? Uh, there's a couple nuances there. Number one, am I the right person to confront them? Uh, are they most likely going to listen to me or would it be better coming from someone else? Uh, and maybe out of love, you know, not in terms of gossiping, but maybe out of love it would be best for someone else who has a stronger, closer relationship with them uh, that you can talk to and help, and bring them into the situation to bring help and reconciliation. Uh, as well as, you know... Um, would it be more loving to overlook this? You know, was it, you know, was it a one-time sin where it's not characteristic of their life? There's no pattern that really, if I don't say anything, no one's going to know, no one's going to be aware. There's no other impact. Maybe the loving thing would be to, uh, again, just give it up to the Lord and, and overlook it. Or is this necessary? Is this the most loving thing I can do? Uh, am I cultivating and expressing the attributes of the peacemaker? Right? Uh, that's what Christopher taught, the portrait of a peacemaker. Uh, am I able to uh, manifest gentleness, kindness, compassion, love, a forgiving spirit, tolerance? Are those things what's characterizing my life toward this person? Uh, or am I angry? Am I impatient? Uh, am I harsh? And then am I willing to consider the next biblical steps that God may require if necessary? There's that one reference, meaning if this conversation doesn't go well, if they don't acknowledge their sin, if they don't repent of their sin, am I willing to take the next step, which uh, may include bringing others into the situation, may even go up to church discipline? Uh, if I'm not willing to do that, again, because of my own discomfort or I've just, you know, whatever it might be, uh, then maybe I shouldn't take the first step. Something to consider. So these are all just you know personal questions to ask yourself: of uh, is am, am I in a place where I should bring this confrontation? So if those things are in line, take these steps. Number one: carefully think through what you are going to say and how. Uh, this step on its own will uh, have the greatest impact on the success, if you will, of a confrontation. Take time to think, what should I say, what should I not say, and how should I say it? Uh, don't wait until the moment to say whatever comes to mind. Right? Because when you do that, you're going to be speaking out of your emotions, most likely. And, you know, maybe you're particularly gifted, but I would likely, I always forget, you know, important things. <laughs> you know, and uh, in every conversation that, that is, you know, whatever the conversation is, uh, if it's a significant conversation, almost every time, sometime later, I'll think back, oh, I should have said this, or I wish I would have said that, right? Uh, even in just regular conversations. Um, and so uh, don't wait uh, until the moment. Don't think, well, I'm just going to trust the Lord, and whatever He says to me, tells me to say, that's what I'm going to say. Don't do that. That's presumption. That's not faith. I think God would say, prepare, uh, 
That's one of the ways that you can practice wisdom. As you prepare your thoughts, take note to avoid accusations of their character or motivations. Uh, focus on what you can see and allow the Holy Spirit to convict them of what you can't see. Right. So don't. what you're confronting is not their motivations, unless they've told you that's what their motivation was. <laughs> but uh, confront what you've actually seen or what you've actually heard from them um, or maybe heard about them if, you know, uh, I'll give a couple examples in a little bit. But um, but let the Spirit work on their motivation. Just confront the facts, deal with the facts, not with with assumptions. Um, and I would say, I'm trying to remember if, if this comes up later, I would say, um, oh yeah, consider writing it out verbatim. I, I skipped that one. Or at least developing bullet points. Uh, there are times where I have actually written out like a letter to someone, and I've read it to them, in front of them, <laughs> right? That feels super awkward, because we don't communicate that way, typically, right? Um, it's like texting while you're standing in front of them. <laughs> you know, I guess that's normal for teens these days, but, <laughs> um, but that shows to them how significant this is, right? Th- this is not a normal conversation, <laughs> So that's a possibility. Or you have bullet points of, okay, I want to make sure I say this. I want to make sure I say that. Maybe there's some things that you phrase a particular way, or maybe there's just topics that trigger your memory. Whatever would be helpful for you, you got to know yourself and either write it out verbatim or have bullet points, uh, but put the thought into it. And again, that will show them that you're taking this seriously. This is not something you're doing willy-nilly. Uh, this is not your, something you're just going by the seat of your pants. So that, that is super helpful. Uh, number two there, pray that the Lord will help your heart be right. And pray for the person that the Lord would be preparing them to receive what you have to say with humility. Right? Um, instead of, you know, in the flesh, just saying, man, I can't wait to talk to them, to, to give them a piece of my mind, to tell them how much they've hurt me, to, you know, I can't wait to see the look on their face. No, pray for them. <laughs> pray for the Lord will give you a gentle, compassionate heart. Pray that the Lord would, would prepare them to receive things with humility. Also, pray that the Lord would help you to respond to their response with graciousness and humility. Because as much as you can plan and prepare what you're going to say, then they're going to respond, and you can't plan for that, right? You can't plan... Well, if they say this, then I'm going to say this. And if they say that, then I'm going to say that. You know, have a, what, what, what are those kind of charts, a flow chart or you know, whatever. You can't do that. Uh, I mean, I suppose you could think about it a little bit, but you have no idea what they're actually going to say. And so whatever you plan is probably not going to be a perfect fit. So what do you do? You, that's where you do pray because you've already humbled your heart. You've already prepared your heart. And so what, what you say in the response uh, moment uh, is is going to be m- far better because of what you've done than than if you just wing the whole thing. And so pray, acknowledging your own dependence on the Lord, that when they respond, whatever they say, if they accept it, ask for forgiveness. If they reject it, say, I don't think you're seeing that right. Or if they turn the tables on you and you know bring confrontation back on you. Those are three very common situations. So ask the Lord to to help you respond 
to however they respond, graciously and humbly. And then third, one thing you can do is ask a close friend or a family member to pray for you. Uh, you don't need to give details. You can say, hey, I'm just needing to have a conversation with someone. Can you please pray for me? Can you pray that the Lord would help my heart be right, help that I would be you know, slow to speak, quick to listen, um, and just pray for me. Uh, and then afterward, let them know, hey, thank you for praying. It didn't go well. You know, just keep praying for me. Or, hey, it went really well. Praise the Lord. You know, thank you for praying. Whatever it is. Having just someone else to support you and undergird you, even if they don't know the details, can be really encouraging. All right? So th- that's all preparation. Now, what, do you t- what steps can you take uh, to rebuke the person? Well, contact the person privately to express your desire to talk with him or her privately and face-to-face, either at that time or at a mutually convenient time later. So, um, as you see on the the first sub-bullet point there, do not confront via texting. I may have said it before, certainly say it again. Texting is the lowest form of communication. Uh, It is the worst way to communicate matters of substance. Because, as you well know, uh, when you text... Uh, You're texting in your environment, in your situation, with your emotions, with your attitude. But when the person receives the text, you have no idea, I guess, again, unless you're a teenager and they're sitting right next to you, you have no idea what's going on in their life in that moment. You have no idea what their emotions are. You have no idea what their circumstances are. If they're at a dinner party, if they're bawling their eyes out because they're thinking of you, wishing... You know, you could be reconciled if they're angry at you in the moment. Uh, you know, if they're driving, you have no idea. And so they're going to receive that text and they're going to import their own emotions and their own just dynamic of where they're at into that. And, and they're not going to see your face. They're not going to hear your tone. They're not going to hear the pace of which you speak. Uh, you know, you, you could work out a five sentence text and it could take you an hour just trying to word it so well as far as you're trying they read it in 10 seconds and they assume you took 10 seconds and they respond in light of right so just unless there is absolutely no other way on earth possible please 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 don't confront via text Um, you want to as much as possible have a face-to-face conversation where you can see each other's eyes, you can see each other's facial expression, you can hear the tone, you can have that instant feedback and interaction. Um, and that, that is the absolute best way to do it. Now, admittedly, it's not always possible, right? So next best, I, I believe this is, this is my standard here, next best is phone conversation. Because there you get everything except for the facial expressions. Uh, you get the, the tone, you get the volume, you get the pace, uh, you can have that instant feedback. It's just all around, that's the second best way to communicate difficult things. In, in my mind, in my estimation, the third best would be written communication. Uh, I would put kind of um, a, a letter, snail mail, either handwritten. Uh, if we're going to really slice and dice it, I'll, I'll put it this way. Handwritten letter, because that shows purpose, that shows... A thoughtfulness, uh, maybe typed letter, uh, and then email after that. 
Again, email has similar problems with texting, but there's there's a different dynamic with email because of the nature of it. And then texting at the very end. So just think through, you know, aim for the best and do whatever is possible in the situation. Uh, be mindful of the environment uh, of the conversation. Uh, don't confront sins in the foyer after church or five minutes before the service is starting. <laughs> uh, don't do it in environments where in- interruptions are highly likely, uh, like going out to lunch. You know, that initially seems like a, a, a helpful thing, but then you got the waiter or waitress coming. You know, can I get you drinks? How's it going? You're like, oh, I'm trying to have a conversation here. <laughs> so just be mindful of the environment. Have it be a place where you can talk privately. Um, you know, maybe there needs to be other people around for, you know, safety reasons or comfort level or whatever, but not too close. Uh, but where it's quiet enough where you can have a personal conversation, you know, not like a restaurant where you're having to yell at each other to, to hear each other. Uh, be mindful about time frames. Don't confront if there's only a few minutes, again, right before church to talk. Give ample time for extended conversation. You know, who knows whether it'll be a five-minute talk where you you say what you have to say and they're like, appreciate you saying that. I uh, don't really know how to respond, so have a good day. <laughs> you know, it could be short or it could be a two, three-hour, four-hour conversation. So, so do it at a time where, where a longer conversation is possible if needed. All right. When you meet, uh, state uh, your concern humbly and gently using I statements. Uh, if appropriate, start by acknowledging your own weaknesses and struggles with similar things. And this is just, this is not a script to use. This is just a sample of, of what I mean. You know, I want to talk to you about something. But uh, first, I want to say that this is something that I know I struggle with. And I'm learning to overcome, so I don't see myself as better than you or having arrived in any way. Me, 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 I, I, I. This is not a selfish statement, right? (laughs) This is a statement of humility. Uh, The point is not to be self-centered, but to avoid language that can be construed as attacking. So you don't want to say something like, the other day I saw you do such and such. How could you do that? Uh, better would be to say something like, you know, the other day I saw something that concerned me. Uh, I wanted to see if you could help me understand it. I was doing this and I looked and it looked like you were doing that. Uh, did I see that accurately? Can you help me understand what was happening that day? You know, that's coming with humility to say, maybe I misperceived it. You know, we've all been in those situations where you walk in on a, in a, a two people or group of people having a conversation and just that moment where you walk in uh if you didn't know the people better you would assume the worst thing about what was just said um you know that they made some statement of blasphemy or that they you know said something that was awful but in the in the broader context of their conversation it was a totally fine thing to say Uh, in the same way sometimes we see something that someone does or we hear something that someone says and we can be so convinced that we saw it correctly and yet be so wrong because we didn't see the full picture, right? In the legal system, of course, this happens all the time where witness, eyewitnesses uh, tell different stories of the same situation because they all had different vantage points. That's why it takes an investigator to talk to all the witnesses and not just listen to one person who had one perspective, 
uh, you know, here's another bad example. I heard that you said, you know, that I'm a dummy, that I'm crazy. You know, you told people that I'm, you know, I hate, you know, whatever. Why would you? Yeah. Why would you say that? You know that's not true, right? That that's a confrontational. Uh, okay, I'm using confrontational in a negative way. That's a harsh, judgmental statement. A better way would say, you know, someone told me a rumor. Okay, it is a rumor because you're hearing it second or third hand. Someone told me a rumor, and I wanted to come directly to you to see if there's truth in it. You know, it was reported to me that you said such and such. Is there any truth in that? Uh, is that an accurate representation of what you said? Uh, you know, sometimes someone will, you know, the whole telephone game, they'll misunderstand and they'll then convey to you a, 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 a totally uh, wrong version of what was said, or they'll convey the, the words accurately, but the meaning is different, right? So you want to be humble and give the person an opportunity to correct and explain uh, the situation. So you want to ask about the apparent offense. Don't assume and don't accuse. Um, you want to listen to the answers with Christ-like compassion and wisdom. Interact wisely with them with the goal of clearly expressing your concern and inviting them to repent. So uh, as much as this is a confrontation, you want to listen well. Good listening is seeking to understand rather than formulating your response while they're talking. Uh, you want to listen carefully to understand their their perspective. And so as you're listening, you're, you want to be actively listening, just like, okay, this is what they're saying. This is what I'm understanding. And then perhaps you want to reflect back. What I'm hearing you say is that you do think I'm crazy. <laughs> no, uh, you know, here, here, here's what I'm hearing you say. Is, am I understanding you correctly? Uh, ask questions to clarify specific statements or ideas that you don't understand or don't agree with. Uh, again, there's the email situation of miss, uh, missed emails. So th- the whole point is you're coming because you're pretty sure that there needs to be a rebuke. There needs to be a confrontation. And again, you might be right. You might be totally right. Uh, but you're coming with an attitude of humility, willing to be wrong. And if they perceive that, that will be much easier for them to receive the confrontation. You know, they might say, you know, yeah, you did, you did perceive that accurately. I did do this. I did say that. And I'm so sorry. Uh, that might be their response if you come with humility. Whereas if we come with accusations and, and, and uh, assumptions, again, there's just going to be that wall that, that gets put up and they're going to become defensive. Now, as, as you're interacting with them and they respond back and say, you know, either uh, uh, sinfully or harshly, uh, or even kindly, and they bring up something that you did that you weren't aware of or that you hadn't thought of, uh, then be quick to affirm that, okay, yes, you're right, I, I, I didn't realize that, or I forgot about that, or, you know, I miscommunicated, and, you know, I, I, I didn't do what I should have done, you know, will you forgive me? That's the next bullet point there. So number six, then, what should I do if the person repents and seeks my forgiveness? Well, grant forgiveness. And possibly explain what you mean by that, right? When we talked about forgiveness, we talked about the four promises of forgiveness. And the reason it might be helpful to explain what you mean by forgiving them is because, uh, just like 
many people misunderstand forgiveness, they might go down the road, and if there are consequences to their sin, uh, if there are maybe some guidelines that you put in place for uh, wisely interacting with them or rebuilding trust or whatever, they might say something like, well, you forgave me, why do I have to do this? Well, it's because forgiveness doesn't mean that you know there are no consequences, as we talked about. So it might be helpful to explain what you mean by forgiveness. Uh, even if their expression of repentance isn't as clear or thorough as you would desire, listen for the heart behind their words. Right? So they, they might not uh, have had the opportunity to think through uh, you know, their sin as much as you've thought about it. And so maybe their repentance is more abbreviated. Uh, maybe it's not as full as, as you would have desired. Uh, so listen for their heart, at least. Right? And maybe there will be further conversations down the road as they grow in understanding their sin. But uh, listen for their heart. Don't just say, well, they didn't say everything, so that means none of it counts. You know, Their repentance doesn't count. Uh, that's, that's not a loving uh, way to think. And then if, if appropriate, ask them if they'd be willing to go with you to another believer for help in growing their relationship. So there might be a situation where you need help to reconcile and to restore a, f- a right relationship fully. So, hey, can we go to you know, a pastor? Can we go to a, a leader who can help us uh, navigate these things? Number seven, what next steps should we take in a forgiven, reconciled relationship? Well, be intentional about engaging with a person in appropriate ways. Right? Don't avoid them or be distant. You might still feel awkwardness even though you've Reconciled again. If you've if they've repented and you've forgiven, you might still feel hurt. You might still you know feel the sting of their sin and their betrayal, whatever it is. And so it'll be difficult in some cases to just continue on as if everything's good. And so you have to be purposeful to live out those promises. Remember, the last one is I won't allow this sin to come between us and hinder our relationship. You have to be purposeful to do that. Uh, depending on the nature of the sin and the relationship, consider getting biblical counseling to address root issues or to help longstanding patterns of behavior. Again, practice the form promises of forgiveness. And then next week we'll spend our time talking about how do you really move forward in a reconciled relationship. And then if they don't repent and seek forgiveness, uh, that'll be our last session in the class. But remember that their sin is first and foremost against the Lord. Only the Holy Spirit can bring about genuine repentance. So continue to love love them, pray for them, uh, do good to them, bless them, uh, and, and seek God's help. Okay? All right. Any thoughts or comments? We have a couple minutes left. Yes? Um, if, uh, before you go and confront someone, would it be wise to maybe go to another brother that has wisdom? Kind of share, you know, maybe get some ideas or input about your confrontation. Or should you just leave that? Well, yeah. If if there is, uh, if you sense the need uh, to get input and, and counsel, you know, again, because when we're when we're in the middle of a situation, we're in the thick of it. Our emotions can make it difficult for us to think clearly. So it it can be uh, a helpful thing to do. Um, so just, um, you know, there's, I'll answer your question, you know, as if I don't know anything about you. (laughs) Uh, there's maybe two approaches. One is talking to someone who doesn't know anything about the situation and 
giving enough details to get counsel, but not as many details where they learn about the other person and, and the situation. Uh, that would, uh, you know, avoid gossiping, slander, whatever else. Another situation is where they do know the details to some degree. Um, you know, or maybe they know the person very well, or they're very well aware of their situation. Then, yeah, you share. Uh, but what we have to be careful of is that we don't only have people in our life who affirm us, <laughs> but that we have people in our life who are willing to speak the truth and, and confront us when we're thinking wrongly. So um, uh, we have to be mindful of who, who would be the best person to talk to in that situation. It's always good to have someone who's going to have your back no matter what. That's always wonderful. But we want to make sure that we get counsel from someone who's going to speak the truth and be honest. Yeah, yeah Gloria. Um, so, kind of next to that question. What if you think someone would be more fit to confront the person than you would, but the person or like the person at hand that did the mm-hmm. um, they feel like that would be unfavorable, like they don't want anyone else to talk about it, or they, like they feel like it would be a betrayal, or... Yeah, so it's a good question. Um, generally speaking, if the sin is between two people and it is a private matter, we should aim to keep it as private as possible. Again, unless we need to seek counsel or something like that. But um, but we should aim for that. And so even if uh, we're not the best person only because this other person has a relationship with them, but the, if they don't know about the situation, then we should first try to do it ourselves. And then if that doesn't go well, and maybe after a couple times that we try, then maybe we bring in another person uh, who can help. So that would be the Matthew 18 process there. So what if you do that first approach of trying to uh, reconcile it amongst yourselves? Um, but still, they're kind of like, eh, about counsel or any outside third party. Yeah. Well, so we'll talk a little bit in the, again, in the last session about what to do when they don't respond well. So there's two options. Number one, uh, if there's unrepentant sin, it may need to go up the chain of more and more public uh, conversations. You know, relatively private and then ultimately public where the, even the whole church would get involved. You know, obviously, dynamics of... Uh, they would have to be part of the church for that to happen. Um, or uh, you may just need to get to the point where, if they're not going to repent, where you deal with the sin in your own heart in terms of you cultivate an attitude of forgiveness. Uh, Father, forgive them for they know what, not what they do, like Christ did. And just recognize... This is not going to be a reconciled relationship. Uh, as much as you would want that, uh, as much as God would want that, you know they're they're not wanting that. And so, you've done hopefully everything that you are responsible to do. But in the end, if they're not willing to reconcile, then you know perhaps it it just needs to stay that way until the Lord works in their heart. Um, yeah. All right. Let me pray. <laughs>